Whether you are khalashing for khalas or wanting to bry or fine dine, this is Essen Fresen with Adrian Bagati. It's all about the food. Good morning and welcome to the Essen Fresen show. I'm Adrian Bagati, your host. And hopefully you're not too cold today. Today I'm chatting to, uh, I recorded a show. We're talking to a dietitian all about diabetes and insulin resistance, which is one of our biggest killers, especially in the Jewish community. So I thought it was quite appropriate. Now the dietitian is Dahlia Hockman. So we'll be talking to her in a few minutes. I am sitting currently in beautiful Botswana and the sun is shining here. So I'm sorry for those of you who are feeling the cold, but thankfully it's not me. A few things to talk about. I'm away, so there will be Sharon Lurie on instead until I get back from all my travels. So thankfully that's it. And once again, with these travels, I am reminded how lucky we are as a kosher Jewish community to have so much produce available. Trying to even find bread up here has landed up that I'm actually making it now because there is no bread available. Well, no kosher bread. So that's become a problem. There's no Orly Whip. And I didn't realize how much I rely on Orly Whip and soy milk and almond milk and all those dairy substitutes in my daily life. But it's been a bit of a struggle here. So hopefully that's all good. I thought I'd share just now a bread recipe and then Dahlia did give us a little hint at a lentil recipe that I will share as well. Nice lentil, you know, lentils are great for diabetes. So a quick curry is something that I will share with you. You'll be able to find these recipes on the website uh, later on after the show. So before I go any further, I'm going to just chat a little bit about diabetes from my perspective, and then we'll ask Dahlia how she finds, you know, diabetes, explaining diabetes and insulin resistance to us and that kind of thing. And one of the things I want people to remember is before we even talk about diabetes is you know, I hear it's coming, you know, now it doesn't feel like it. We're in the middle of winter. But eventually we're going to suddenly start hearing these ridiculous sayings like my summer body. Your body is not a summer body and it's not a winter body. Yes, we do put on a few kilos or tend to put on a few kilos in winter because we do tend to crave more starch heavy foods. And that is because the starch or carbohydrates provide us with energy to stay warm. So there is no such thing as a summer body or a winter body. And eating well is the only cure for that. Fad diets and extreme diets, they never last. And you do tend to put on pretty much more that, you know, you put it all back on, in fact, more than you lost. So it's not really worth it. And I, for one, am very, very bad at dieting. I really am. I just... I can't stick to any of them. So for me, the eating plan is the best way. And you will find that any successful diet comes with an eating plan that you can learn um, to follow. Usually it's like the first like one week or four weeks or whatever. So they want to get you hooked and then you've got to pay for your dieting plan. So that's an important thing 
Just remember that when you are dieting and you do have health issues like diabetes, hypertension, or cholesterol, it is important that you speak to your doctor and dietitian before trying any eating plans or diet plans because, you know, they can quite affect your health a lot. Now, diabetes and insulin resistance are very different, although they do seem to follow the similar eating plans. They generally go on the same kind of medication. But what happens with insulin resistance, and that's quite a common thing, is people suddenly discover that they cannot lose weight. No matter how good you are, how strict the diet is, the weight just doesn't come off. Where on the other hand, generally, if you're about to, be, if you're becoming a diabetic, you will experience that sudden and quite extreme weight loss. So those are two important things to remember. You're listening to the Essen for Essen show and I'm Adrian Bugatti. And coming up next is my chat with Dahlia Hockman, dietitian from Joburg. She works in the area, so easy to find. And obviously on Joburg Jewish mommies as well, if you need to get her. Whether you are halishing for halas or wanting to braai or fine dine, this is Essen Fressen with Adrian Bugatti. It's all about the food. Welcome back. As I said, we have a special guest here today, Dahlia Hockman, who's a dietitian. So I'm just going to introduce her. Dahlia, thank you so much for joining me today on HiFM on the Essen Fressen show. Talk to us. So I am a registered dietitian. Um, I've been in practice since um, 2020. I graduated in 2019. Uh, in September of 2022, I opened up my own practice called Functional Foodie Registered Dietitians, where I deal with a whole variety of conditions, whether it's your, your general weight loss or weight gain. Um, your, your general chronic conditions of diabetes, hypertension, dyslipidemia, PCOS, and also work a lot with gut-related issues. So your IBS, your IBD, diverticulosis and diverticulitis and the like. And I also work at Sunning Hill Hospital a few times a week. So today I asked you to come talk to us because one of the things that is on the rise in the population around the world, so not just the Jewish population, is diabetes. But then we hear these women who are dieting. They go on these really, really strict diets. I'm not talking about like the keto or anything like that. I'm talking about they just want to lose weight and nothing is happening. They go for blood tests and they are insulin resistant. So now we need to explain the difference between insulin resistant and diabetes. So insulin resistance is, in essence, it's, I wouldn't say it's a precursor of diabetes, but it can lead to the development of diabetes. So if we look at just the definition of what diabetes is, so diabetes is when either you have a lack of insulin being produced or that insulin is not sensitive, so it's not working as well as it should be, and that would then lead to a rise in your glucose levels, your sugar levels, which is then going to be a diagnosis of either pre-diabetes and then when it is worse off, then the diagnosis of diabetes. What happens in insulin resistance is that it's a variety of, of things that occur. There is no set diagnostic factor for insulin resistance. A lot of the time people test fasting insulin levels, and if those are high, then they would diagnose 
insulin resistance. It's more of a, a, a condition where a few things are happening. So we look at what are your cholesterol levels looking like, specifically your HDL cholesterol, which is your good cholesterol if those levels are looking low. You look at your triglyceride levels if those are high. If your waist circumference is above a certain amount, if you are on blood pressure medication or do have hypertension, and then, of course, if your sugar levels are looking high or if you're on any form of oral glycemic agent or any form of medication to assist with those levels, those all together would be looking at what insulin resistance is. So to look at insulin resistance, you should have three out of those five of those characteristics to say that you are insulin resistant. Um, it's not enough to say you're insulin resistant just from a, a fasting insulin. So what happens in insulin resistance is often you do have an excessive amount of insulin that's being produced to respond to higher sugar levels. So I often explain to my clients, you know, for example, you eat a slice of bread. That slice of bread is a carbohydrate, which is eventually going to be absorbed in your bloodstream as glucose. That glucose doesn't need to be in the bloodstream. It's not doing anything there. It needs to get into your cells which is where everything happens in the human body. To get into the cells, insulin plays a vital role in that. So when your sugar levels rise, your brain sends a message to the pancreas to produce and secrete your insulin to essentially open up that cell to let the glucose enter the cell for it to do the work that it needs to do. When there is insulin resistance, you are often producing a lot of insulin to counteract those high sugar levels, and then that will normalize your sugar once it has entered the cell. But the whole phenomenon is the fact that you're often secreting a lot more to just maintain a normal sugar level. Okay, so I remember seeing a result for insulin. don't think there was a cholesterol test done with it, but the insulin level was, it wasn't fasting, um, but it was still 194 would that automatically say you're insulin resistant or would you still need to have other things because it wasn't done fasting? So that's a question. Does it mm. affect your fasting? So when I do look at insulin, I do, I do look at it fasting. When I do explain those bloods to a, to a patient of mine, I don't necessarily use the diagnosis of insulin resistance purely on those fasting insulin levels. You do see elevated, um, levels of insulin with patients that are insulin resistant, but it isn't actually enough to make a diagnosis of it. Your insulin can change many times during the day. And that's also why sometimes, you know, if you aren't fasting and then you test your insulin levels, it's very much about what did you eat before that blood test was done, because that mm -hmm. will rise according to what you've eaten. It is very volatile and it can change very easily. Yeah. Okay. So, so that, that's, that's a thing. And then, so insulin resistance, you've got to be, obviously your waistline has got to be above a certain amount, uh, certain measurements. So say above 110 centimeters or something. Um, I'm just thumping, sucking numbers here, but the factors that lead to it, you said that insulin resistance can sometimes be sort of an indication that you may later develop um, diabetes. Can that be reversed? Can that be for prevented by, yes. say, diet or uh, even the glucose tablets? Uh, not glucose tablets. The um, I've gone blank. What the word is? It's a uh, like like being on glucophage, though. 
Um, so you definitely can prevent that progression. So often diabetes is a consequence of your insulin resistance and specifically looking at your metabolic syndrome, which insulin resistance is often confused with. And that's all those factors that, that I spoke about mm-hmm. earlier. It can be a consequence that would cause diabetes, but it means if you don't help yourself, it can cause it. If you make a lot of lifestyle changes, you know, in terms of, you know, following an appropriate diet, um, exercising, sometimes doctors would prescribe an oral glycemic agent to assist, but a lot of the time the initial dietary and exercise interventions can prevent that. Okay. So, and with these people, once they're either on the correct diet or on an oral anti-hypoglycy, uh, anti, you know, glycemic agent, they would see quite a significant weight loss quite quickly. Um, yes. So the whole thing also with, with all of this is weight loss itself will assist in, um, those sugar levels. It will assist in your cholesterol levels. It will assist in hypertension. So weight loss just as a, as one aspect of the treatment will will help. I want to look at things that, like the myths around the diabetic diet and around, um, because I think it's a similar diet, the insulin resistance and the diabetic diet. Whether you are halishing for halas or wanting to braai or fine dine, this is Essen Fressen with Adrian Bugatti. It's all about the food. This is Adrian Bugatti. I'm talking to Dahlia Parkman from Functional Foodie Dietitians. And we're talking about insulin resistance and diabetes. And I wanted to continue to talk about the diet that goes along with this and some of the myths around the explanations. Um, I think, like I was saying earlier before the interview, um, I was taught as a student nurse nearly 40 years ago that, you know, sugar, if it's the third ingredient on the list in a can, you can't have it as a diabetic. And there was like a whole big thing around absolutely no sugar and absolutely nothing, this, this, or the other thing. But I know over the years, the knowledge has changed. I now know that it is also more fat-related than sugar-related to a certain extent. But sweeteners were also a big thing. And out came the so-called diabetic sweets and chocolates that were sugar-free. So my knowledge so far is, and you'll tell me if I'm correct or not, is those are not exactly healthy for diabetics. It doesn't mean you can eat them like you would a slab of chocolate. So can you yes. answer like some of those things? Yes. So, I mean, just in general, in terms of, like you said before, you know, the similarities between a diabetic diet and how we would treat a patient with insulin resistance, a very common perception is, you know, you have diabetes, you have insulin resistance, you are not allowed to have any carbs. You know, no carbs at supper, don't have any carbs at breakfast. You know, you're just living on protein and veg, and that will will help you. That is a very common misconception, and I often like to say, you know, everyone discusses that bread is the enemy, and bread is the thing that you shouldn't be eating. And, you know, when everyone is trying to be healthier, that's often the, the food group or, you know, the specific food, bread, that people will avoid. What actually we do do is more, it is about a consistent amount of carbs. So specifically, that's specifically for diabetics, making sure they get a consistent amount of carbohydrates throughout the day. We also look at the type of carbs. So we obviously want to go for foods that are low GI or low glycemic index foods that are high in fiber, 
So these are the foods that we encourage. So, you know, some of those foods are obviously your seeded breads, your brown rices, or even a basmati rice, your whole wheat pastas, your bulgur wheat, whole wheat couscouses. Those are the types of foods that we encourage. Your sweet potato, especially the, the purple screen sweet potato, your oats. Those would be, you know, quite a few of the, the starches that, that we would encourage to go for. Um, it's also about pairing it with the right types of food, so not having a carbohydrate alone, pairing it with a protein or a fat, which will basically lead to a lower release of sugar. Mm. Um, so in a nutshell, that's, you know, the, the essence in terms of carbs. Sugar per se is, is still an issue, um, specifically, you know, for your diabetic patients that would be, you'd still want to avoid it. You know, sugar, also people like to go for honey as the better alternative. Your body breaks down honey the exact same way that it will break down sugar, whether it's your white sugar or brown sugar or your yellow sugars that you get. So it's not, those are not better alternatives to help with your glycemic response. But of course, there are a lot of sweeteners now on the market. So the big question is, which a lot of, you know, if my clients do come and tell me, should I be going for these sweeteners instead of sugar? Because a lot of the time, you know, you hear about all the myths that also around sweeteners that are involved. So just in terms of our sweeteners, we do get um, mostly our non-nutritive sweeteners, which provide a very low amount of calories or no calories at all, that, you know, for the short term actually do not provide the same response that sugar will. So it won't, you know, lead to those increase of glucose levels in your blood. So especially for a diabetic patient, there would be an assistance of that. Um, sweeteners itself also do come with their, with their own issues. You know, the research has shown us that it doesn't necessarily cause weight loss. It doesn't actually necessarily help with your sugars in a non-diabetic patient. They've actually found that it can cause a little bit of a glucose intolerance. The mechanisms are, are poorly understood, but they have seen that effect happening. It also does give you the association to like your sweeter things more because you're getting those taste perceptions often of getting the sweetness, which can also affect things. I have to tell you that, that for me, all of the sweetness taste is terrible. It leaves such a horrible taste afterwards. So I would be a very bad diabetic because I don't know. I mean, I've cut down my sugar, but I don't know that I could ever go without it. Yeah. But I do find this taste. Uh, I know, you know, most of my family are quite happy with the sweetener. I, the thought of just, I'd be a very bad diabetic. Um, <laughs> so that's an important thing that, that, you know, when we're choosing, like for a non-diabetic, you want to get healthier. Do you stop your sugar? And it sounds like, you're also agreeing cut it down rather than change it over. Yes. So I think it also depends how much this person would consume mm. in the day. I mean, in yeah. terms of sweeteners, they're also acceptable daily intakes that are yeah. recommended that if you have, let's say, that consistent amount of sweetener every single day for the rest of your life, you shouldn't get health complications from it. Okay. Um, so that would be one thing to look into in terms of, you know, how much to take in. But definitely it is always a good idea if you can rather have nothing to cut down on your sugar mm. intake as it is initially. Yeah. Yeah. I, I discovered when I stopped working at a job and started working from home, um, that I actually gained weight because of the amount of tea I was drinking because every cup has sugar in it. So, um, <laughs> it was a little lesson in, in, in portion control, even with my teacup. So <laughs> that's an interesting thing. And then the, 
diabetic sweets and the well, they're being sold as diabetic or sugar-free sweets and sugar-free chocolates. Opinions? Oh, it depends which ones you're looking at. Often the sugar-free chocolates, you know, you get all of the the sugar-free chocolates on the market. Those I never recommend to clients just because of the fact that often when something is sugar-free, it is often high in fat. Mm. Um, and specifically looking at those chocolates that are very high in fat and specifically are very high in what we call saturated fat which is a bad fat that is going to affect your cholesterol levels, which especially if you're on a diabetic diet and you are treated as a diabetic, as well as if you are insulin resistant, a very important thing that we look at is reducing your saturated fat intake. Like you said before, looking at what type of fat that you are taking in the diet. So those sugar-free chocolates are have a very high content of those saturated fats. So yes, you may be taking away one aspect of the chocolate that's negative, but that other aspect is still there and it is still going to affect you. You do get some, you know, hard candy sweets that, you know, the only thing that they have added is the the sweetener itself. So, you know, for some people that need a mint here and there or want a sucking sweet here and there, I'm not opposed to it. Obviously, because of the sweetener itself, Sweetener can also have an effect on your bowel, so it is very important to be careful of that. It can cause osmotic diarrhea, it can cause gas, it can cause bloating. So those are just also practical things, you know, if you do want to go for those hard candy sweets to also look at. Okay, so so that's an important thing. And then um, in terms of, like, actual food, you said, like, carbs, obviously looking at the different carbs and what you have on it. So say a baked potato with yellow cheese on top. No butter or anything, but a small amount of yellow cheese. You know, because potatoes have got this like really bad reputation because of the carbohydrate levels and things like that. And not everybody likes sweet potato as an alternative. But there are obviously ways to get around and to still have your favorite foods. Um, so what would you advise for somebody who's starting out They've been tested and they're not diabetic, but they've been told that their insulin resistance, their insulin levels are a little high. Maybe their cholesterol is affected as well. That kind of thing. How would they begin like to move forward from change to change of lifestyle without having to go, unfortunately, say to a dietitian like you, because say they're not on a medical aid or something like that? So, of course, slow changes are often the the everlasting changes. So even one small change will make a huge difference. So the few things that I would say is a good idea to start with is, number one, look at, like I said, your carb intake, your fiber intake, Mm. making sure that, like you said, when you have that potato, the skin is still on because that's where that insoluble fiber is, which does make it more difficult for your body to digest it. So, making sure you're including the right types of carbs in your diet. We also Mm -hmm. like to say, just as an estimate, the amount of carbs that should be on your plate is around the size of a fist. So obviously everyone needs different amounts, but it's just a nice estimate in terms of when you're looking at your plate, how many carbs you should be having on your plate. Um, Encouraging also, you know, a good amount of fruit and vegetable intake and especially incorporating your vegetables into your meal with also keeping the skin on as much as possible, you know, for veg and fruit that you can keep the skin on. I mean, I'm not saying to go eat the skin of an orange. It's (laughs) simply the the edible skins that you can eat. 
and then specifically looking at the types of proteins and the types of fat that you're having in the diet. So mm. you really should try your best to increase your omega-3 fatty acid intake. It is an anti-inflammatory, and often when you are insulin resistant, you are in a slight, you do have inflammation, as well as your omega-3 will help boost those good HDL cholesterol levels and help drop that bad LDL cholesterol levels. So having your fatty fish, your salmon, which has a very good omega-3 content, your trout, which also does have quite a good amount, not as high in salmon. Um, chia seeds, for example, is a non-fish source of your omega-3. So that would be a very good idea to incorporate in the diet. And just making sure that you're really also watching your animal fats. So making sure you're taking the skin off the chicken, cutting the fat away from your meat, you know, not having meat too many times during the week, twice a week, other times having chicken with the skin off, having your fish meals, plant-based proteins as your other protein sources, mm. and really just making sure that you watch that because that also will affect your cholesterol levels, which will worsen that whole condition. A general question about diet. So you mentioned the size of your carb portions and stuff. So I can remember us having that little plate divided into three and, and it was the main thing was your protein and then the the starch and the veg were pretty much equal now that changed so it's more your veg takes up half your plate okay. protein is a quarter and starch is a quarter so if you look at your plate you want half of that plate to be your non-starchy vegetables then okay. the quarter to be you know your half hour below gr carb and then your protein that quarter of the plate to be a lean protein so, like, I know a lot of people, um, you know, when they put the veg on the plate, it's easy to buy the mixed veg from the freezer at the store, and that's got corn, green beans, and carrots. Now, I know carrots are, are actually a starchy vegetable. So, but is it a good starch or a bad starch? Like, can you just eat them? I mean, I know you can't eat vegetables indefinitely. Some vegetables actually do count towards your starch and your carb intakes. So it's actually quite a misconception. A lot of people do believe that carrots and beetroot are considered to be starchy vegetables. They're actually a part of your, your free vegetable group. So carrots are actually fine. That wouldn't be the problem in that veg packet that, that you discussed. It's more your corn. Not that yeah. it's saying it's bad. Your corn, your butternut, your pumpkin, your peas, and then, of course, your potatoes and sweet potatoes. These are our starchy vegetables. There's okay. nothing wrong with them. It's not saying that you should avoid them, but that should contribute to the starch that is on your plate. Okay. So, like, if you're going to have, oh, what's one of the frozen ones? Peas and corn. Then, obviously, the starch content, like your rice or your mashed potato or whatever you're having, that should be less because you've got the corn as your vegetable as well. So, even though it's considered a vegetable, it's still also part of your your carb. So, what kind of free vegetables that still offer you some nutrition are there. You said the beetroots and the carrots. What about things like zucchini, uh, baby marrows? Sorry. Yeah, so your zucchini, your baby marrows, great. Obviously, all of your ingredients that will go into a salad, your broccoli, your cauliflowers, your spinaches, um, your green beans. There's there's a whole range of, mm. of veg that would be considered to be your, your non-starchy veg. I mean, the list the list goes on. Those are yeah, just no, a few a long list. ones. Yeah. I do remember at one stage, what was it, leeks? There was a big fad for the leek diet. 
you know, it was leek soups and leek cleansers and stuff like that. I mean, leeks are like kind of like onions. So would that fall into your free veg category? Yes, yes, they would. Okay, I just can't imagine living for a week on leeks, but that's besides the point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and then they talk about what else did I, did I read about for diabetics? Mediterranean diet. Like how how is a Mediterranean diet? You know, to me, the Mediterranean diet sits in the back of my head, kind of like one of those fad diets that used to go around years ago. How is that still around healthy? Is it is it really good for diabetics? So the Mediterranean diet is is really great. Um, I wouldn't consider the Mediterranean diet to be actually a fad diet because okay. number one, a big issue with fad diets in general is their is their unsustainability. People aren't able to continue that type of lifestyle for an extended period of time, which your Mediterranean diet, you definitely can do forever. Mm. It is also, unlike fad diets, your Mediterranean diet is very research-based. So okay. if you're ever going to see a dietitian, they specifically will only give you um, researched information, and that's often yeah. the issues with these fad diets is that they're not well-researched. Mm. Um, your Mediterranean diet is specifically designed and it's really great to for your cholesterol, cholesterol patients and to really lower your cholesterol levels. So okay. you would actually in, implement aspects of the Mediterranean diet with your diabetic patients because it really does focus on, you know, having your lean proteins, having your whole grain carbs, incorporating lots of fruits and vegetables, you know, not having your red meat so often, having your olive oil, which, you know, when it's not cooked is a very healthy form of fat. So as a base, it definitely has a place. Um, So like my big thing is meal planning. I'm a huge meal planner. When you are planning meals, that aren't specifically diet related. Somebody just wants to be a little more healthy, that kind of thing. Calorie counting still a thing or is it not really? I mean, I do remember in the old days, the one diet that I think is still around some of it is where you had to weigh your portions, which was a nightmare. I remember having to do, my mom was doing that when I was a teenager and I actually put on weight while they were dieting from the way because I wasn't following exactly the diet. So I had the opposite effect, which wasn't a bad thing because I was severely underweight. But as soon as I stopped it, my weight dropped off like, and then I had kids and that was the end of that. Um, but what about like your calorie control and your calorie thing? Is that still a big thing? Is that still a good way to look at trying to work out what to eat for a day? Or is it better to go on like your portion size, like your one portion of starch or one portion of protein? Which one? sort of would work better for the lay person looking to create their own diet. They don't need to lose weight. They don't need to see a dietitian, that kind of thing. So, of course, in general, calorie counting in terms of, you know, either maintaining your weight, losing weight, it's all about calories in versus calories out. So how much you are taking in versus how much you are um, expending in the day. The problem with calorie counting is, the first thing is, yes, you can actually, if you go onto all of these fitness apps and, you know, they can mm. tell you how many calories that you should be having in the day. They're not telling you how many, you know, how those calories should look. So you can yeah. technically have your ice cream and chocolate and, you know, a little bit of biscuits yeah. in the day. And there we go. Those are your calories sorted. You'll yeah. feel starving, number one. You're not having anything that's going to fill you. And then you're not having anything that's going to, to nourish you. So Looking at calories um, throughout the day is 
not as encouraged just because it's really more important about what your actual meals look like. So I often just let my clients know this is like how many calories I use when I calculated your meals, but it is more important to make sure that they're having the right amount of starch, protein, fat, and veg at their meal because that will, number one, keep them full and not hungry, which is often where the problems come in. Um, and it'll also be the most nourishing way to just follow a healthy lifestyle. Eating low calories doesn't necessarily mean that you're eating the right healthy foods. Yeah, I, I do remember, um, because I don't like water, I used to only drink the flavored water. Like, that's got calories in it. So it counts towards your calorie counter. And it's not very, I mean, I know they say don't drink your calories. So things like, uh, obviously, um, you're saying eating fruit and that. Um, I just now want to talk a little bit about Things like fruit juices and, you know, because everyone always thinks fruit juices are like the thing. It's so healthy. And it, and I do know there are limits to how much you're allowed in general. So I want to talk about that in a moment as well. Whether you are halishing for halas or wanting to braai or fine dine, this is Essen Fressen with Adrian Bugatti. It's all about the food. I'm talking to Dahlia Hockman from Functional Foodie Dietitians, and we've been talking mostly about insulin resistance and diabetes, but a little bit about general health as well. And I wanted to talk about fruit juices. Now, I know there's a misconception. I do know that, like, as a diabetic, like, for me, I've always told my mother that she needs to keep a little one of those box juices of orange juice or, like, a guava juice in her cupboard for when her sugar drops, rather than going for the Coke or the sweet or whatever to bring her sugar up because it does work much better. I know like a quarter glass of carrot of um, orange juice brings your sugar up much faster and much safer than a sweet or half a can of Coke. So our fruit juices, an interesting topic because you do get a lot of people that, you know, fruit is fruit that's in your fruit juice, so it must be fine. And then you also get a lot of people that completely avoid fruit juice because it has so much sugar inside. So our fruit juice, the ones to, of course, go for is to make sure that you are having the 100% fruit juices, so not the blends, because then that's often the problem when they have a lot of added stuff in that's not necessarily fruit. Like you said with your mom, to bring up your sugar levels very quickly, fruit juice is high GI, so it does have a high glycemic index. Because of the juicing process, it just takes away all of the fiber that your natural fruit will have. So it will cause your your sugar levels to rise. So if, for example, you you need to have your sugar levels rising, like you're a diabetic and you're having a low sugar and you need to get them up quickly, definitely fruit juice is a great option. In general, consuming a lot of fruit juice is not great just because of the fact that, you know, the fiber has been removed from it. And often you're drinking a lot more than what that one orange would be. So... Mm-hmm. In general, it would be recommended if you want your fruit juice to be your one fruit portion for, let's say, your snack that day, you can have, let's say, a half a glass of your apple juice or orange juice. What I usually do suggest is, you know, even if you just are enjoying the flavor and you just don't want the pure water and that's just the liquid that you want to take in, you know, having that fruit juice and mixing it with water, um, you actually do get some fruit juices on the market now that are actually pre-diluted in those little juice boxes so that you get the flavor, but it's not the pure fruit juice itself. So that's often what I do recommend. There's nothing added to it. They don't they don't add any extra form of sugar. It's just the simple sugar that is found in fruit naturally. And what about these juice shots, you know, like the ginger shots and you get the little beetroot shots and things. Are they really 
that good, that healthy? Or are they better off for people who are burning the calories by going to gym every day um, and really have physical work, physical jobs? Or are they like the booster that they say they are that anybody can have? So, I mean, especially like the, those juice boosters, um, one thing to look at is, you know, just what, what ingredients are inside them. Um, if it is one of, let's say, like those beetroot shots or, you know, the carrot shots, um, there's nothing in it that's bad. So if you want to drink it, there's there's nothing wrong with drinking it, but it may, it may not cause, you know, these amazing things that you think. For me, I'm about eating my food and eating my veg and at my meals and it's more important to get, you know, a good amount of veg and getting that fiber in them because that is what is really missing from those yeah. juice shots if you, is you're missing that fiber. Okay. So thank you. That has been very helpful. Um, I've, the guest today was Dalia Hockman and I want to thank you very much for coming on with me. It has been very, very useful. Um, we'll probably speak again about other kinds of eating and that kind of, because look, I love food and stuff. So what is a good, we've just got about two minutes left. What is a good sort of recipe or a good uh, like meal that will give you everything you need coming up to winter here? And so like for me, my go-to was always a minestrone, but I know that's not always the healthiest option. I mean, people assume soup is the option, but it isn't always. So what is a healthy winter meal that's quick load shedding, obviously, so we need to be able to heat it up when the lights come back on or cook it before. So what kind of so, meal do you suggest? So there, there are a lot of different options. I mean, especially now that it's winter, you really want to look at a hearty meal. And like you said, with low chilling, that's obviously also something that's going to, you know, um, affect things. Um, what I often do give to my clients is just a nice recipe. I have this really nice lentil curry recipe, which, mm. you know, is obviously plant-based, protein-based, and, you know, meat-free Monday is a thing, and it's, of course, good to yeah. incorporate your plant-based proteins in a diet. So, you know, having the lentils in there, adding lots of baby marrow, onion, carrots, then I just always add some tin tomatoes and just some curry spice, and you just basically cook that on the stove. So it's quite a quick and easy, nice, heartwarming stew and curry. The truth is there's not one meal that's going to incorporate everything you need. There are a lot of different foods, and most of the foods that you would enjoy, you can still consume in a healthy diet. Dalia, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, We will speak to you again, I'm sure. And it has been very, very educational. I've learned a lot today. So thank you very much. I'm Adrian Bugatti. This is the Essen Fresen Show. Whether you are halishing for halas or wanting to braai or fine dine, this is Essen Fresen with Adrian Bugatti. It's all about the food. I have to thank Dahlia for coming on the show and chatting us to us about insulin and diabetes and the difference and things that I didn't know and I'm always grateful to learn. So thank you very much once again. Um, and before we end uh, our chat today, uh, just a few updates from around the world on Kashrut. Once again, I want to remind people, please, when you buy a product that has a Kashrut symbol on, check with your rabbi that it is an acceptable one. Um, I recently bought a product and bought it home, and I was told that that is not an acceptable hasha in our house. Um discovered that they're not 100% sure who's behind it. Plus, they're that scam from India, 
where they were just printing these kosher signs on products. So be careful just buying before knowing who is behind the product, especially if you're strictly kosher. Some of the products will obviously have somebody who is not a rabbi authorizing it. Generally, most uh, kashrut symbols will have an orthodox rabbi who is the head of that. And then the inspectors who uh, he obviously approves or the, the team approves and have been properly trained to go out and inspect. So please remember to check that beforehand. Before we sign off, there are some kosher updates from around the world. First one is a kosher alert from Houston Kosherita Association. It's Tippets, Fun Bites, Bear and Unauthorized Houston Kosher logo, and they are not certified. So please be aware of that. Star K is just reminding people that there is a bit of an infestation on the exterior of bell peppers in their area. So please remember to... um Clean them very well before you uh, cut them up and remove the stem. So that is a normal way to cut up your uh, peppers is to remove the green part before cutting and slicing. Then there is a voluntary recall of specific frozen fruit products due to a contamination by listeria. And the products, you know, there are a lot of products, so we're not going to go through how many there are. They please ask to check your freezers and, um, you know, just obviously return to the school. And that is Sunrise Grower Products. So please look on the website to find out where they are if you are in the U.S. Then Scenic Fruit Company recalls organic pineapple because of a possible health risk. Scenic Fruit Company of Gresham, Oregon is recalling frozen organic pineapple and frozen fruit blends containing the organic pineapple as the product has a potential to be contaminated with Listeria. So once again, the brand names are Cadia and Trader Joe's. So please be aware of those. You can find those on kashrut.com. Then from McCormick Butter Extract with Other Natural Flavors, the and this is from the OU, McCormick Butter Extract with Other Natural Flavors, their one-ounce thing, and they on the website, once again, it is the code is there. McCormick and Company in Hunt Valley, the MD is missing the D, or dairy designation. The Orthodox Unicertified Butter Extract with Other Natural Flavors as OUD which means it is a dairy product and obviously butter, it contains dairy. So please, some of the packaging was printed with just a plain OU. Uh, the new packaging is being uh, revised. Then Israeli soy allergen, Gulon Zero sugar-free chocolate chip cookies. They have got gluten in. It's an undeclared soy in the gluten-free biscuit. So please be aware of that. And then 7-Eleven Slurpees from the 15th of June, 2023. They had information, uh, kosher Slurpees flavors. You can find it on kosher.com, find their flavors. But there's a long list of known flavors. On the 7th of June, COR Detroit or Kosher Authorities of Detroit, Fanta Dragon Fruit Zero Sugar and Fruitworks Lemon Candy Freeze. Those are Slurpee syrups, please, not the Fanta, but Slurpee syrups are kosher and pyruv and do not require a symbol. The flavor cards posted on the Slurpee machines in the front 
cannot be relied upon to determine kashrut status of Slurpee because they often do not show the correct brand and variety of syrup that's actually in the machine. So the above information is for the benefit of kashrut supervisors and consumers who inspect with permission of the store management, the labels on the two and a half and five gallon boxes of syrup in the back of the store, which feed the Slurpee machines. So if your 7-Eleven allows you to check that out, then that is for you. Then on the 8th of June, Frosty Crossroads, the Kosher Chronicles of Slurpee in Israel and North America from COR Canada. COR is verified that 7-Eleven is Israel sells Coke products and they are certified by Rabbi Landau of Bene, from B'nai Brak, who is accepted by kosher agencies in Israel and abroad as a reliable kosher certifier. And then please check your best in Twitter list and your best, your kosher.org UK for the Schmitter updates. There are new products that have come, well, not new products. There are products that are still being sold that you cannot purchase as they are from Schmitter produce. And then there are others that are no longer and you can, you know, just, but you still need to give, uh, Turuma and Misa. So please be aware of that. Walmart Valley Fruit Company recalls great value sliced strawberries, mixed fruit, great value antioxidant blend, Raider Farms organic fresh start smoothie blend and Raider Farms organic berry trio because of a possible health risk. And the health risk is from Mexico. And it is a potential hepatitis contamination. So please, once again, go onto the website and have a look where they're from because it's from Walmart and a few other places. Costco as well have got a products on their shelf. So please, uh, there is a long list. And then on the 14th of June from COR Detroit, Greek-style pita bread from Cordis Metropolitan Baking Company does not bear this KCOR symbol or that it has the symbol covered by a sticker, is not certified by the Council of Orthodox Rabbis or Vadah Rabbonim. Packages that do bear the KOR are certified. They are not past Israel. So have a wonderful week and stay warm. I am Adrian Bugatti, and this was the Essen Freshen Show.